You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 330. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is bookkeeping software I've been using since the beginning of time, (laughs) or 2012. So that's about eight years now, and I have been loving it. It is my favorite, or one of the favorite tools our team uses in order to track the thing that I probably normally would like the least, which is bookkeeping. So if you are a business owner and you wanna love your bookkeeping, even though that may not also be your favorite thing like it is my own, and you want to have a system that just understands how to organize it for you in such a simple, beautiful, flowing way, you can track all your expenses, your invoicing, you can send off invoices, you can see if someone's viewed the invoice, you can track your time for different projects if you need to, you can have different team members have different levels of access. There's just so many ways to customize this and it's pretty at the same time. And it's so fun as like I've been sharing in recent episodes to see you guys loving it as well as you give it a free 30-day trial yourself. So to see you guys loving it makes me super happy too. You can go over to freshbooks.com slash lively to give it that 30-day shot for free. And if you love it, of course, put the lively show in the how did you hear about us section to let them know that you found it through the show. Okay, guys, today's episode is a Q&A show with the time zone between Bali time zone and the Quebec time zone of Annie Francoeur at the collective is like 13 hour time difference, I think. So we've been doing a little bit less of the collective on the show just because it's a bit more difficult for us to schedule things in. That said, I've been doing a bit more of the solo shows for you guys, just being a normal average Jess Joe type person to just kind of share what it's like to live this from my perspective as a human being that's expanding into the awareness of my higher self along with you all. So hopefully this will be a fun episode for you guys. It's been fun to do the flow diaries, but today I thought I would do just an old-fashioned Q&A with the episode questions supplied by you guys on Instagram. So I'm about to pop on Instagram right now and see what you guys have asked. Number one, Amy Busybreath asked, do you ever feel stuck and how do you remedy if so? Well, I guess it depends on what the feeling of stuck means. I mean, I don't think of the word stuck So I guess that doesn't mean I don't have maybe a similar experience, but I don't ever think to myself, God, I feel so stuck. I usually am just flowing with what feels aligning at the time, whatever I'm doing. So if I feel like I don't know the next step for something, I'd either ask my intuition or I would feel like I would be looking for either direct verbal confirmation from the inner voice, like what should I do about X if I'm feeling, I guess, stuck. Or I would be looking for more information, more signs. So for example, let me give you guys a recent example. On the Flow Diaries where I said why I booked and moved my ticket up for Bali like three weeks earlier than I had originally planned is because it all flowed. Well, here in Bali, I've been here for about three weeks. And last week, I actually thought about leaving Bali early and going off to Hawaii or New Zealand or just somewhere else that wasn't terribly far away from Australia because I'm still waiting for the business temporary visa to be determined by them and then hopefully getting into Australia for a few months to do some exciting podcast tours, which I'll tell you guys about if we actually get the approval to do so. But When I was just really feeling pretty done with Bali, as you guys may know, Bali and I have a (laughs) love-hate sorted relationship over the previous year. Three years ago, I was here for a month in Ubud, and it was very emotionally intense, and just it's very hot, extremely humid, and it's just not my typical place that I'd say is like 
made for me. That said, three weeks here, this time in Chenggu, I think Chenggu is overall a better fit for me. It is just a little bit less intense than the spiritual persona of Ubud. And even though you might think, oh my gosh, Jess, like you love consciousness. This is what you eat, breathe, sleep, dream about. (laughs) I like it, but I like doing it in a place that's not all about it. I don't need to be the persona of it. I just am passionate about it, but I can do that in London. I can do that in Sydney. I can do that anywhere. In Detroit, I was doing that. So I never needed the space to be what I was all about. I could be me and be passionate about it anywhere. So I love the option, for example, of getting wine just as easily as you could get a coffee or a tea here, where my own personal experience three years ago in Ubud was very much, or maybe it's also where I was at my lifetime and that phase of my life. I threw myself so hard into all of the spiritual woo that Ubud had to offer. And it was like a Disneyland of that kind of stuff. But I didn't ever give myself a break from that stuff for that month. So that's probably also my own experience, my own personal bias, of course, my own reality that I created back then has been my association. Now, I have zero problem riding into Ubud for the day on a scooter with a friend if we want to go do a yoga class or something, but it hasn't flowed so far. But what I enjoy about Chenggu is that it has such a more mix. Like, yes, you could do the spiritual stuff a little bit, but it's just not all about that. It's more of a surfer town and it has beautiful shopping and beautiful restaurants and cafes that feel a lot like Sydney. So I just enjoy this type of energy in Bali even more. However, all of that said, the lack of sidewalks and mostly like many ditches and holes on the ground in the side of the road where I have already the first day fallen in and scraped my, I have a Bali tattoo as I call it, this huge leg tattoo of scars assorted that's like eight inches long on my thigh. Yeah, I love walking and that's not as easy. And then I lived and I chose this. The most beautiful place I could find on Airbnb for nine days was indoor-outdoor living. But I had four dead geckos in the coffee cup, wasps in the living room that was indoors and wasps outside in the rest of the living space. The only thing that was behind closed doors was the bedroom and the bathroom and then the living room. But the living room had a wasp in it. So I didn't really feel super comfortable spending time in the living room all that much. And then the outdoor space was so fertile. It was like a freaking Garden of Eden, which was beautiful, but then also had the centipedes and the big hairy spider that's half the size of a huntsman spider, which is still five times bigger than any spider should, (laughs) in my mental opinion, be. So I was just living out in the wild with all these things. We had two big lizards in the attic that the pest control had to get out. It was just so intense after this week and a half of like basically not feeling comfortable in my home because my home was the tropical, you know, living with all of the animals and assorted insects. I just wanted a place to be indoors. And then the next place I went to, which was all cement, and I had like barely any outdoor space at all. So I was like, okay, this will be fine. Had a centipede invasion. And the pest control guy from the first place said the centipedes bite and to stay away from them. So I knew that when I saw six of them inside crawling straight through the crack in the door, and there was like 12 to 15 of them, a whole family of babies and mothers and all this stuff outside. I was just like, oh my gosh, I came here to get away from it all. So This just kind of led me to chatting with my mentor and she was just like, Jess, you are not required to stay there. Like, is this a loving action? Because I kind of had this mental story of, I've got to stay. I've got to stick it out. There's got to be something here for me. And she goes, that doesn't sound very loving. That sounds very egoic. (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. I'm judging myself hardcore here and trying to make myself stay. And so she goes, just like consider it. Like what are the other options? So for me, New Zealand seemed appealing. And then also 
possibly Hawaii, which Hawaii is in many ways, because I was thinking Honolulu here. I'm not sitting about going to like Kauai and sitting out in a hut where I basically would have been in the same situation I was here. Like I've been to Honolulu many times. I know it really well. I could have maybe even hopped over on a plane to see Jacob Lieberman in Maui. Like I just kind of also know the sidewalks and the walkability and all of those, like the lack of insects compared to here was in Honolulu, Waikiki, for example, a much more doable thing. And it had a nine hour flight to Australia. So I was like, okay, that's a potential option. So I looked into it the next day. However, it didn't flow. So unlike how Cape Town to Bali flowed, this time looking to leave prematurely did not flow. And so I looked for those signs. So I was feeling if you could call it stuck, Amy, to go back to your original question. And yet then as I looked into the details that morning in a cafe, well, a few things happened. One, I realized that going from Indonesia to Hawaii is a 30-hour flight time. Like the whole travel day is 30 hours, which is hilariously interesting because I had said, I want to stay somewhere, quote unquote, close to Australia. For example, I wouldn't be interested in going all the way back up to London because London is a 30-hour flight to Australia. So literally the word London and 30 hours were associated in my mind as a no-go option. And here I was looking at Honolulu, but realizing Indonesia to Honolulu is 30 hours and I have a layover in all places. I have Australia as a layover, which I think would have been fun. I could have had the layover there. But then just thinking about that amount of travel for the three weeks only to then return back to Australia you know, on a nine-hour flight a few weeks later, just didn't feel fun. I can say that. It didn't feel exciting. I wasn't like, oh, yes. And then I also did do some due diligence and looked up Airbnbs in Honolulu and was very disappointed by the options. And then I actually felt into also, I will say I thought felt into like the food situation in Hawaii overall compared to a lot of America. Yeah, it's great. And it has poke everywhere. And smoothie bowls are way more easy to find than let's say in Ohio. So yes, like I could be in kind of a similar-ish place to here, but without as many bugs and with more infrastructure and navigation and walkability. But the spaces I would have stayed in were very not exciting to me. And I didn't, I've stayed in hotels in Honolulu for a long time as well. One of them I actually got stuck in during a potential hurricane. So I was like, went through a whole very interesting week and a half there. But I ended up missing the ability to cook my own food or get groceries and just kind of have a bit more of a low key place to be than just a high rise hotel living situation for potentially three weeks. So all of this also said, I did pre-book a place here in Bali I just hadn't gone to yet. So I was sitting escaping the centipede invasion in the hotel. I retreated back to the slow, which I love because I knew it didn't have bugs and it's pretty and everything for a few days that I had planned to be in the centipede place. But while I was there, I had booked another place. It was further outside of the city of Chengdu. It's about a 10 minute scooter ride. At the time, I wasn't thrilled about that because I knew I'd have to take the basically Uber here is Gojek, J-E-K. And you can get a scooter ride like an Uber ride or get an actual car if you want to, but cars here are much more difficult to navigate than scooters. So 99% of the population, or at least 95% are on scooters and you can actually rent them. I haven't driven a car or any type of vehicle, motor vehicle in three or four years. Not to say I wouldn't, but did I want to do it here on a scooter the first time? No way. There's a lot of traffic and a lot of things to navigate. And so that was definitely not the easiest place for me to just learn actual city driving. 
in Bali, no thank you. So anyways, all of this to say, I hadn't gotten here, so I didn't know if it would be good or not. But as I looked into this Hawaii thing, that didn't seem fun. When it came to New Zealand, I had to actually apply for a tourist ETA visa and I'd have to wait 24 hours. And then I was realizing as I looked on the Airbnb there, I was thinking for infrastructure sense of like ability. I've done one week in Queenstown in the past, which was fine, but it was a bit small town and i like hiking, but just didn't find it as a place I'd probably want to spend three weeks by myself alone. So then I was thinking Auckland could be an option, but then I had to go figure out which neighborhood in Auckland would be good. Of course, all of these things were overcomable, but it just kind of was a little bit of resistance on the path. It was kind of like upstream to kind of do all of those things. Meanwhile, as I sat at the cafe looking at all of this information, I sat next to a couple from the Netherlands that were super cute. They'd just come back from Australia on their six weeks trip they were traveling and they got engaged in Tassie and it was so cute to meet them and we're having this great conversation about how awesome Sydney is and of course I'm trying to talk them into moving to Sydney and we're just having a blast and they are staying in Chenggu and a hotel that they like that's a little bit further outside the city and they were saying how much they enjoy the contrast of being able to come in and out of the city Meanwhile, I've been staying because of the walking nature of my preferences in really closely proximated places to like all of the stuff in Chenggu. So I could walk most of the time. This new place was going to be like their hotel, which would require me to travel. So even though I could have left and I didn't have to stay and I could have gone to anywhere in the world on a plane, I ended up having this little chat with this couple, enjoying them, looking at the pictures of the place I was going to stay here in this city. Also, here's another little piece of flow. This is like, what, a 15 minute answer to this question. Sorry, guys. But it's a little like flow diaries, I guess, in the middle of the q and <laughs> I The bugs situation was also very heavily on my mind. Well, interestingly, at the slow, the slow is so lovely as a hotel here in Chengdu. I could not recommend it enough. The staff is lovely. They all know me as Miss Jess. And I've been there a few times. And every time I come back, even just for a dinner, they're just like, hi, Miss Jess, how are you? And the lady that's one of the managers heard my whole situation with the bugs at the other two Airbnbs. And so she, (laughs) so sweet, said, why don't I call your new Airbnb and act as your Balinese assistant and find out as a local speaking Indonesian or speaking the local language, find out the bug situation and what would happen if you had any problems. How sweet was that? So she actually called and said that they had a housekeeper and that if anything happened throughout the day, I could call them immediately and they would take care of it. So even this one little detail was so kindly sorted out like before I even got to the Airbnb itself. So all of this to say, the flow seemed to show me staying in Bali and sticking it out and seeing what what was around the corner in this new place was the path of least resistance rather than uprooting myself and flowing on. So that is, for example, if I feel stuck, I'll explore other options, even if I'm not getting a direct inner voice, yes or no. And sometimes you can ask a direct yes or no. Like for me, the path of least resistance when I was traveling in an airport and there was everybody wearing masks and even the stewardess in order to come from Cape Town to Bali, there are airports in Singapore. I had a layover. There's tons of people wearing masks asks for coronavirus. And I just asked my inner voice, am I going to die of coronavirus? And it said, no. (laughs) No, I wasn't concerned. I didn't have that much mental resistance. I didn't think the odds of that would be very common or be, I'd be very surprised if just 
Lively died of coronavirus. That just would not have been how I would have expected my soul to choose an exit. So I just didn't worry about it once I asked. Now, if you have tons and tons of mental fear, you might not even be able to hear the yes or no from your inner voice. So in that case, finding signs like could be a different path of least resistance for you. But for me, I just knew that and then I didn't worry about it. I, of course, can still ask that the next time I travel and say, am I going to die of coronavirus and get yes or no? And then according to that, ask, should I wear a mask or not wear a mask and listen to my inner voice? But I don't need to worry about that now because I'm not flying at the moment. So it's a moot point. But all of this to say, sometimes I can just go the quick and dirty way of just asking works out. And then there's other times like this traveling where I didn't just ask, I actually explored the options and actually felt into the feelings of them. And even though my mind was pretty darn tired of Bali three weeks in, at the same time as I went to go make those flights, I didn't feel more excited to leave than I did to stay the day later. So as the alignment actually unfolded, I felt like staying more than I felt like going. So that's something I did while I felt stuck. (laughs) So very long answer and slash mini diaries for you. Okay, let's move on. New question. Truly happy and free said, are there news on the inner voice certification, payment options, when, etc.? Uh, Thank you if you listened to last week's Flow Diaries. It's been so fun to see everybody's excitement and all the email lists growing for that. If you want to go back, re-listen to last week's episode to know what this is all about. But yes, we've done a beta group interest list for the people that have previously in the last year done sessions with me. And I think we're going to be able to fill out the probably the max number of student teachers will probably need is most likely to be around 20 or so. We have over that number that are interested within the existing group of people that have already done the inner voice session with me. So we're going to be good on the student teacher route in the beta group training that will happen first. So that's exciting. And that will be the first step. And like I have maybe shared, if you've listened to that episode, you know, I'm excited to do the training in a place where it feels aligned. Right now, Bali feels like the energy of this next few weeks for me is more about wrapping up old projects, for example, taxes from last year and other things that have to do with getting our new site design going and and just other projects and figuring out what the beta group will be, but not necessarily right now knowing that it's time to start the beta group itself. So I'll be working with them first in the coming, let's say, several weeks up to the next month or two. And then after that, we'll have to feel in with the group there into when it makes sense to do the larger offering for people that want to do this that haven't done an inner voice session with me yet. So all of those details basically are to come. That's the very long answer to that. Now we have Emily Christiansen who said, when do you actually work and what do you do? I'm curious to see how it fits in with the flow. I did an episode about how I flow with work and the Rampage of Appreciation format that I actually do my work in, in an episode, three or four episodes ago. I forget the title of it, but it should be something about like how I flow with work or how I get into alignment around work. So I would recommend going to listen to that one and that will explain it in way more detail in terms of workflow and how that works out for me. One lovely life, one said, what does your current alignment look like? I love to know what you do when you sip all your pretty drinks. Okay, again, referring you back to that episode when I talk about the rampage of appreciation and how that flowed into becoming my work cycle. So listen to that episode and you'll get all the details on that. Now we have Bexter Daly who said, hi Jess, it's always so fun when you do these. Here's a question I've been having for a while now. 
It's confusing to me when I hear you're allowed to want what you want because wanting requires having preferences in the mind, but preferences often cause resistance to what is actually the reality and letting go of those preferences allows for life to take charge and then flow happens. So then why once at all? Why have any preferences? Namaste. Bexter Daily. Oh, it's so funny. That's basically the question I had for Abraham in my own hot seat with them in Alaska on the cruise last summer. So if you are curious on that, go to YouTube. And I think that the way people have uploaded my video was by putting the word continual balancing. So if I was to try to find that video, try searching Abraham Hicks continual balancing and you're gonna hear me ask that same question because I totally get you. Yes, the mind has preferences, but often when it holds on to those too tightly, it creates resistance to not having the preference. So there is a difference. Let's look at a sliding scale of like there is cool water and then there is freezing water or there is warm water, lukewarm water, and then there is scalding water, right? So there's a scale of things. Now let's say wanting also has a scale. There is a light wanting, and we'll call the light wanting like lukewarm water a preference. And then we'll have scalding water <laughs> or scalding preference, scalding attachment, okay? So the mind can have attachment, which is an extreme feeling of wanting, and there could be also a light preference. So if I go to a buffet, I might prefer not to have the shrimp, but I'm not gonna like scream at the person for putting the shrimp on the buffet in the first place if I see it there. It's just a preference I avoid, right? It's not like I sit there having a big conniption about it. So the same is true for the mind on these things. And recognizing when your mind is in attachment, full-on attachment mode is when the resistance comes in. But of course, your mind is allowed to prefer to have the pink skirt instead of the yellow skirt if you're shopping, for example, or prefer to have it quieter in your Airbnb than louder. But if you're in an Airbnb and you can't yet literally remove yourself resisting it's not going to help you. So yes, I would say overall, don't try to dial up your preferences up to level 10 because most likely if there is any mental activity and attachment involved, resistance will follow. But if you can just dial things back and go, I'd prefer, and this is kind of to the same point, I still have the preference in the mind, the mind still have the preference to potentially leave Bali. But when I actually looked at leaving Bali in that selection of options that came to my mind showed up, I overall, even though it would have been nice to go somewhere I could walk more freely or would have been nice to go somewhere with potentially less bugs. I have less bugs in this Airbnb. This place, I haven't seen anything. So it's fine. I've just had a few little ants that are no big deal. And it's quieter because it is further outside the city. And I actually love the decor here way more than I would in any of the places I saw easily listed on Honolulu's Airbnb. And the food here is overall way more excellent than almost anywhere else. I have to say the food in Bali Everyone that's come here would know this. Like if you love healthy, fresh food, there are very few places in the world I have, I've personally found or discovered that have better vegan or vegetarian or pescatarian fresh food. It is just so incredible. It's one of my actual favorite things here is the food scene. 
even I wanted to be indoors and not sweating all day. I found cafes after my awareness was very strongly, you know, wanting to leave. I actually noticed, oh yeah, there are some places that have glass and are air conditioned. I just previously was so at the frequency of not having the things I wanted. I was just attracting things that matched what I didn't want. Even like the bugs of the centipede invasion in that second Airbnb, I totally think I manifested that. I don't think they probably typically have centipedes in that place, but I had the vibration of bugs on my vibration so strongly. Bugs were going to find me somehow, some way. So anyways, yes, you don't need to actually try to cultivate preferences. Notice when they happen and don't try to ratchet them up too much if you notice resistance coming at the same time. That is my very short answer to that question, and I understand your point of view completely. Now we have Melanie McKeegan Lolly who said, when you explain the emotional beanbags being released and then allow, what does that actually look like in real life? Okay, so this is something I'm not going to go deeply into on a show yet because I have no way of actually helping you do that other than when you're in them. It is like trying to teach someone how to sail a sailboat through a podcast. Am I gonna be able to teach you to successfully sail a boat through a podcast? I could say all the things, but that doesn't, and even Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now says the whole thing. I never, I read it 12 times that I didn't know how to do it from him writing it down or me saying it to you. So I find that when someone is in a triggered state, it is infinitely easier when you're in the boat <laughs> to sail the boat and teach you how to sail than to teach you how to get out of a trigger state when you're not in a triggered state. So for this reason, I'm going to let this one set and rest for now because I don't have a way to share this that would be the most effective I possibly could. So I'm just allowing it to be what it is for right now. Of course, go back to the power of now. You can read his chapter on the pain body as well, and you can notice when they show up, but it's not necessarily going to be the easiest for you to do without actually having someone guide you while in the triggered state itself. So next we have Kylina Elise. You said, hi, Jess, love these Q and A's and hearing more from you lately. We all know how you love to flow, but just for fun, if you were to prepave your life Abraham style in the next 10 years, what would you envision for yourself? Oh, well, that would be the mind picking, which I guess it still has the preference if you're going to say prepaving. So if my mind got to pick my life and my inner voice told me when I left and sold my house and all my furniture that I wanted a life I never imagined before, and then my mind replied, how do I know I want it if I couldn't imagine it? I have had a life I could never have imagined before. But of course, I think that the mind still ideally would like, it has a preference for sure, to still have a partner that connects to me on so many wonderful levels and that we get to have an adventurous life together, whether that's staying primarily in one location or traveling about, I don't know. I don't even have a strong preference on that detail itself, but hopefully if it flows as well with that partner and we want to, to have children, that would be fun if it is a fun path along the way. So pretty much the same thing, but just in alignment with my inner being and then also having new levels of realizations in as well in my consciousness. So I would say that those, if I had to guess, would be the top picks, but those are very obviously like, yeah, my mind's been wanting those topics along this whole journey thus far. So we'll just see how it continues to flow from here. Now we have Karen Lind who said, how do you know you're listening to your inner voice? Well, this one I would say, I'd actually refer you to the YouTube channel, The Lively Show on YouTube. 
And you can see me do the whole Pittsburgh event that we did in 2019. And you can see the group experience. I go into it in a lot more detail there. So you can also see regular people doing it. And you can see them sometimes there's certain people where I could question whether or not it's coming from their inner voice. So you'll be able to tell the difference as you watch it happen, I think a bit easier than me explaining on a Q&A show. So I would say go over, Karen, to the YouTube and look at the experience. And I think you'll start to sense and feel into when you can even tell when someone's hearing from their inner voice and when they're not. Now we have Let In The Love And Light who said, how does your inner voice guide you through illness, sickness, fear, etc.?" Okay, well, the coronavirus thing I shared recently, am I gonna die from this? No, okay, that's pretty easy to guide me through. And I could even go into more questions like, should I wear a mask in the airport? Inner voice can tell me yes or no, or why should I wear one or not wear one? So of course you can ask around that kind of thing. Okay, this is kind of a fun one though. I had a planter's wart on the bottom of my foot when I was about, I don't know, eight years old, 10 years old. And if you guys have ever had one before, you know what I'm talking about. They're just like these little, I think I've Googled this now because I recently got a new one last year. But when I was little, I had this little wart on the bottom of my foot. It was probably the size of a quarter of a pea, like a green pea. So I don't even know what to call that. It's like half of a pencil eraser size. I don't know. But it was at the bottom of my foot. And the dermatologist back when I was young used liquid nitrogen to spray it off. And I don't know because I don't remember exactly how many months or how many years that took. But it was traumatizing because it was incredibly painful being sprayed in such a sensitive area. And they did have to do it for like a minute and a half. It was like 30 seconds, three times. It was horrible. And so funny enough, I started thinking about planter's warts last year and how I had one. And then I manifested one in the same spot on the bottom of my foot. I couldn't believe it. And so I was like, oh gosh, now I have this thing, but I remembered my old approach, the Hackett way (laughs) with the dermatologist. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. That was horrible. And also the way that I've been doing travel the last year has not allowed me to have this consistency with a doctor. So I tried various different methods. One I remember for like three months in Sydney last year, I was using this homeopathy oil I Googled and found on some website that had apparently very mixed, but often very good results with different types of planters, warts in different places and people's bodies. So I was like, okay, put this on the cotton ball. At least it's not going to hurt. And I'll get to try homeopathy, but I had to put it on three times a day. And I religiously used that. I think I used a bottle and a half of it, the big bottle too. And it didn't go away. It kind of changed colors at different points. And then I kind of got creative later on. And I was like, I'm going to try apple cider vinegar. So I started using that. And, you know, it would change colors sometimes and look a little different, but it wasn't really going away. And I also then would like just search and learn a bit more about what they are. It's like a human papillomavirus, HPV. It's not HIV or anything. It's just a common virus. You can get it from locker rooms or different places and it's on the foot. So it's just a virus that your body, they said after a year or two can even fight and actually just get rid of it naturally. Of course, now I'm thinking to myself when I was little, we were hacking at this thing forever and it just was a pain in the butt. It actually turned into two warts back then. It was such a pain in the butt the way that it was done and so painful. So all of this to say, I tried every type of natural-ish way to get rid of it, but then eventually just gave up on the whole thing. And several months ago, I'd say maybe two or three months ago, I just stopped looking at it and I stopped trying to change it. And I kind of went to what every channel says, which is release all resistance. And at one point, 
another thing happened for like a week. I had a belly pain and that was very unusual and I had no idea what it was. And then it was so consistent. I eventually started researching what could be a belly pain. And then in my research thought it might through Google, thank you, Google MD, basically self-diagnose like the potential for like a little baby ulcer that I could have gotten through some pain meds I was taking for migraines and stuff in Cape Town. And I was taking this thing and I don't even normally take anything type of medication, but this was unusually strong stuff, but I wasn't even aware of how strong you could get over-the-counter stuff in South Africa, because I think in America, that would have taken, like you would have needed a prescription. (laughs) So inadvertently taking some stuff for a few days that was stronger than I needed. So I think I over, this was so interesting for me. So I had a headache. So I was taking these for migraines and they made the migraines go away, but then I got this belly pain. And what I realized was, I think that the potential was like, it was solving one problem, but creating another. But after this week of having these belly pains and then trying to sort out what the belly pain was caused from and stopping those pills and realizing I might have done a little bit of irritation to my stomach lining or something, I had been so accustomed but to that point of having this pain in my stomach. And it was pretty intense at different times. And actually, thankfully, I did have the self-intuitive awareness to stop taking the pain meds, but I wasn't sure. The headache went away, but the belly pain didn't when I took that pill. And it was supposed to be a pain-relieving pill, kind of like NSAID pain reliever or something. So anyways, I stopped it. But the whole point was I had been used to this week of pain in my belly. And I realized the momentum, the law of attraction, the feeling of my mind used to that feeling of the pain. This sounds weird. I was used to it. I was so used to it that I actually thanked it. As I wanted it to go away, I didn't want to keep having the pain in the stomach, but I was so used to having the pain in the stomach. It was like a radio station that had been blaring for a week, and my mind was used to feeling it. And I realized that the momentum was so consistent at that point that the way that I realized to let it go was to thank it, to thank it, to thank it. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for showing me not to, you know, take those pills ever again. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for showing me that there's something in my body that needs help. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for, I was thanking the pain. Now, people just getting into law of attraction might go, oh no, don't thank it. You're just gonna create more of it. Happy thank you more, please. You don't want more belly pain. You don't wanna thank it. No, I didn't want more of it. But I also knew I'd grown accustomed to it. And if you were actually out of it and I really didn't have any pain, I would be thanking myself for not having it. But instead of having appreciation for not having it and trying to trick my body after a week of having it into feeling appreciation as though I didn't have the pain, I actually thanked my body for having the pain and that it was just a sign. It wasn't hurting me. It was trying to help me. And I thanked it and I thanked it and I thanked it. And then I, from doing my little Google MD research and thinking I had this little irritation that might be a bit of a baby ulcer, avoided a few of the triggering foods to ulcers for a little while and thought based on the research that it was going to take six or eight months to heal if that's really what it was. No, it took like a week and I was fine. And I I looked back on that whole experience of thanking the feeling of pain 
not fighting it, not feeling bad about it. I had no idea what I was going into until I was in it and that was it. And then I thanked it and it went away and it went away far faster and easier and smoother. And it's true. I I didn't have to fight it. I didn't have to resist it. I didn't have to try to change it. I thanked it. So all of this to say, then when I had this wart, I thought about it and I was like, I wonder if I should thank the wart. So I started thanking the bottom of my foot. Thank you for being here. My goodness, it'd been basically like my best friend traveling around with me for the world for the last year. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Instead of fighting, instead of feeling ugly because of it. Because if I'm to be honest with you, the feeling, the vibration I had knowing that the wart was on the bottom of my foot was ugliness. I felt like if I was to get my toes manicured or get a pedicure, I would feel ugly because the lady doing the toes might see the wart. Or, you know what I mean? I just like hated thinking at the time and felt so ugly having it. It was such a negative vibration and feeling, pure feeling at that time. Instead of fighting that or trying to feel beautiful or try to feel like I didn't have the wart, <laughs> I just thanked it the way that I did with the belly pain. And it's gone. At some point in the last few weeks, it went away. Now, there's two ways to look at it. You could say, well, you had it almost a year and Google says that you can release it. Your body will fight the virus. But also I can say that I did a whole bunch of other things that were supposed to help fight the virus faster, sooner and stronger and didn't. Here I was a few weeks later, it's gone. It's wild and I still find my mind, this is the insanity of the mind, thinking about the wart and how I can't believe it. It's like my own little personal miracle. My body, I knew it could fight. the. It's just a HPV. It's just a little virus. It's just a little thing. It sorted itself out. And what's also interesting is, now, like I said, I stopped looking at it. I stopped worrying. I released all resistance, as all the channels say. But I didn't see anything fall off. It's just my skin. It didn't fall off the way that the dermatologist approach when I was young happened. The skin went back to normal. It didn't fall. It didn't go away. It's just more good skin, more good skin, more good skin, more good skin, less bad skin. Even though I wasn't staring at it and I was not even watching this, I don't even know how long this process actually took it. I am amazed that I don't even have it. But my mind is still so amazed that it doesn't even almost believe it. And so again, when my mind wants to kind of like go back into the vibration that it's so used to from when I had it, again, I go into thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having it. Thank you for it being gone. Thank you for all of it. And actually, I think what it is, is my consciousness is coming through me more and more. And consciousness doesn't perceive things in duality the way the mind does. So this appreciation and love, love and appreciation, love and appreciation is thankful for all of it. It doesn't see that the wart was bad and it doesn't now see that not having it is good. It just is thanking the whole experience. My mind, of course, still does not want to manifest it again, but my inner being is just thanking, thanking, thanking. No matter what is showing up, it's just having thanks. So I know that's a very long-winded answer again, but maybe something that if it resonates for you, you could try with your inner voice asking a direct question like the coronavirus situation, or even when I did ask about the wart, my inner voice was never worried. It just said to relax about it all. But when I finally did literally relax and literally change the vibration, instead of feeling ugly by thanking it, even while I still had it, it went away. That's all I could say. I, I don't even know how, but it did. So that was that. All right, now we have Shayna Blass who said, how can I talk to my inner voice about my student loan debt? My mind gets so stressed out by all my debt. 
Also, I've been following you since 2016 and have lived through all the transformations. So thank you. Good, good. Okay, so inner voice, student loan debt. Ask your inner voice some of these questions if you feel like it. Are you worried about my student loan debt, inner voice? And then wait for the answer. And if it says yes, say why. And if it says no, ask why. Why aren't you upset about it? My mind's upset about it. Why is the mind upset about it, inner voice? If you're not upset about it, why is my mind upset about it? Listen for the answer to this, because when you ask your inner voice why your mind is upset about something, your mind has one thought about why it's upset about something, but your inner voice is so much wiser than your mind, you'll often get a slightly different or deeper or wildly different and deeper answer about why your mind's actually attached or upset about something that your mind would never have seen. That's why it's actually super upset. Say, inner voice, is there something bad about the debt? Is there something you want me to do differently about the debt? Should I pay the debt faster? Should I pay the debt slower? Inner voice, what would you do about the debt? Inner voice, was I a bad person for getting into student loan debt? Am I ever a bad person? Is debt ever bad, inner voice? Why do humans think the debt is bad, inner voice? Try asking some of those questions. Obviously, you can go rewind that and actually write those out. But if you see what the answers are for you, that'll hopefully give you more clarity about the debt and why your mind is seeing it one way and your inner voice may be seeing it in another. Okay, now we have Joyce Novak who said, have you ever used a pendulum for decision-making? What are your thoughts? Yes, several years ago, I learned about the magic of pendulums and it was very fun to learn about. If you haven't heard, a pendulum is basically an object. You could get a crystal or a pendant or some people even just use their necklaces. You can get them that are custom made to be actual pendulums or you can, like I said, use an actual necklace to be a pendulum. So it doesn't have to be any specific thing. You can make do with a lot of different options, but basically something on a string or on a chain that can swing and you get a yes and you get a no based on holding it and saying yes and no until you see what the movement of the string or the crystal make and that or the pendant in this case, and then ask questions. And you can get basically subconscious answers or inner voice answers potentially to your stuff. Years ago, I definitely did use the pendulum and it is a way of getting to your inner voice, but I also can just ask my inner voice so I don't need a pendulum. So it's a tool basically that gets you to the same place your inner voice is. So you can ask or you could do the pendulum either way. I have used it and now I don't because I would just probably ask in most cases rather than go to the bother to get a pendant out in most situations. But it was fun to play with. Cara Maciato said, how do you truly withhold judgment and embrace others who you have to work with but have conflicting values and ways of being? Ooh, this is a good one. Okay, I would say don't even expect your mind to withhold judgment because your mind is a judging mechanism. That would be like saying, how do you make your watch not tick? (laughs) It's a ticking watch. (laughs) If you want it to stop ticking, take the battery out, but then it's not even alive. It's not even telling the time. So if you want the mind to stop judging, kill it. Like the mind is not necessarily going to stop judging. Your consciousness is going to become more prevalent than your mind judging. So what you're really, there's two parts of you, as Abraham would call it, your inner being and your you, as I guess they would call it. But I would say your inner being, your inner voice is you, and your mind is also you. There are two levels of you. So the inner voice you doesn't judge the other person, but your mind does. So you, when you say, how do you truly withhold judgment? Well, my mind's not going to truly withhold judgment. (laughs) 
but I can notice that it's my mind that's there to judge and that I don't have to, as the consciousness that I am, believe or feel what the judgment has to offer me from the mind. I can live from and feel from my inner being instead of my mind. So it's just about that balance, the scales, if you will, of your mind or your inner being's perspective on a situation. Which one has a heavier weight of influence in your vibration? Is it your inner being or is it your mind? Now, of course, like when it comes to, for me with work, my mind can judge like, oh, that's crazy to stop doing the show for so long and not saying, you should say something to people and tell them why you're taking a break. My mind had that thought, it had that judgment, but I didn't vibrate at it and I didn't worry and I didn't do anything because my mind had that judgment. Now, in other things, my mind can have more judgment and my attachment to my mind's perspective can be stronger. So it can wiggle my perspective and my vibration much more. So for you in your mind right now, the weight, if the scales are unbalanced or leaning more heavily towards your mind, it's going to be a lot harder for you to withhold judgment. But of course, the mind's always going to have the judgment. There's not a problem in that, only if you're vibrating at it being a problem for the mind to have the judgment. That'd be like saying that there's a problem that you like pink more than yellow at the store. There's no problem with that. It's just a judgment. But if you actually live and hold on to that, it doesn't feel good. And the reason it doesn't feel good, Abraham stresses all the time, is because your inner being's not holding the same judgment. If it did hold the same judgment, you would feel good. If you don't have the same perspective as the inner being, you feel bad. So if you're feeling bad holding on to the judgment, you know the scales are tipping in the mind's favor. So you would just notice that and go, of course the mind would judge, not trying to take that away from the mind, but then tapping more into what is the perspective of my inner voice or inner being on this subject of this other person? What does my inner being think about their values and ways of being? What does my inner being think about all of that? Go and ask questions on that to your inner being. And now you'll at least have awareness of each side of the scale and what each point of view is. And as the free will being that you are, you now have a choice. You don't have to follow the mind. You can choose to follow the inner being. And if the mind is that afraid of letting go of control, and is that attached, that consciousness is currently so attached to the point of view of the mind, you can also hold compassion because that's what the other side of the scales is doing at the same time. Your inner being's not judging you either. It doesn't have the judgment in the first place. So you can also, even if your mind is judging, at least also recognize even in the judgment in the mind, the inner being's not even judging you for judging in the mind. So trying to have and tap into the compassion for yourself with where you are could also be helpful. Now we have Rachel E.H. Photos. He said, how do you deal with people interpreting your actions as selfish when following your alignment? Example, when people project their disappointment or anger onto you. Well, how do you deal? Okay, so the dealing could be one of two ways. How do I talk to that other person who's interpreting this? Or how do I think and feel about the person who's interpreting this, right? So one is my inner conflict or potential conflict. And one is the, how do I deal with the other person's point of view? You just got to know that you don't mean any harm, right? Like you're not meaning any harm to the other person by doing whatever you're doing. So if they feel it's selfish, that's totally within their valid right to feel whatever they want to feel. And you can't force them to feel any way 
because they're in complete control of their own reality. And what they might be doing is beanbagging you. (laughs) You might be doing something that feels similar to another situation they've previously had. In fact, in most cases, if not almost every single time, the only reason someone's really, really triggered or upset by something we're doing is because it feels similar to some other experience they've previously had. And they don't have enough self-awareness yet, and only yet. They may later in their older years or in a few months or whatever, figure this out for themselves, or they may never do that. That's their choice. It's their prerogative. It's their journey as the God that they are. They're a piece of God, just universe, all that is, just as much as you are. So they have every right to be living their experience and creating from it just as you are. But then when you recognize that, you also recognize you have the choice to feel in yourself just as you want to. And no one else can make you feel any way other than what you've chosen to feel inside yourself. They likewise have the same freedom. So they can be as upset and you get to be as upset as you choose. But it's kind of insane, as Eckhart says, to choose to be upset. (laughs) Like, why would you choose knowingly to be upset and upset, therefore, just yourself, really? and then projecting it on another person, the other person has to take that on board. It doesn't have to be taken on board, but most people are in a reactive enough state that they are taking it on board. So basically what I do is, if I am triggered by their reaction to me, I go beanbag that for myself. I go feel the feeling it feels in me when they're doing it and go release that first because that's the only thing I can actually control. And once I've released that beanbag in myself, then I'm way more level-headed about whatever their upsetness actually is. And I can see it's because it's from something that emotionally uncomfortable inside themselves. So of course, if they're feeling that upset inside themselves, they would be reacting in some way or fashion. They just don't know the beanbag stuff yet. So I'd have compassion for themselves after I've released my own potential beanbag from what they've done to me. So if they've reacted over the top and then I've gone and felt and released anything that is similar to a previous beanbag in myself, then I'm going to be way less reactive to what they've done. But that usually would take some space. So I usually would try if I might be initially reactive to them in the moment. But after that moment's passed and I'm on my own, I would definitely try to beanbag that out and do the releasing that it would take to no longer feel the triggered emotion. And then I would see it from new eyes. I'd see it from beanbagless eyes and also see that they're just reacting from this beanbag. Their inner voice isn't actually mad at me either. And so we're all actually fine. It's just the minds are still holding on to emotional trauma 99% of the time from the past. And they're just projecting them now onto each other. Okay, so now we have... Kat Johnsey, who said, have you ever been or intend to visit the West Coast of Australia, or are you mainly focused on heading back to Sydney when you do come back? Well, thus far, I have not been to the West Coast of Australia because Sydney felt like home so quickly when I got to Sydney that three years ago, and I've always ever since, that's my home, or at least it feels like the place I want to call home. So when I'm in Australia and I finally get to be there, I don't usually feel like getting into a suitcase and being in hotels most of the time. So I haven't yet done that. That said, if this Australia temporary business visa works out, I shall be coming most likely over to the west coast of Australia for that business tour. So I am very excited if I do so because I want to meet a quokka. (laughs) If you guys haven't seen what a quokka is, I always show people what a quokka looks like. It's the happiest animal I have ever seen on the planet Earth. And I just like to think in my own little world of magic that 
consciousness creates reality and that different points of consciousness may have specialized in different parts of reality. So in my magical way, it doesn't mean I know this is true. I don't know if this is true, but the way I like to think about the way the earth got created is not that there was one God that thought of everything and put it all into being. It's that all points of consciousness are what people call God or all that is. And so different points of consciousness could have specialized in different things. Like there could be specializations just like in college. Not everyone gets every single major. No one majors in every possible major at the University of Michigan. They would be in school the rest of their lives if they were to take every possible major. There's hundreds of majors. So I think of consciousness as the same, like creation, creating there's hundreds of thousands, who knows, limitless numbers of consciousness creating. And I always like to think about the point of consciousness that created the quokka. <laughs> and I just think whoever that soul was, was just like, I'm going to make the cutest animal that's ever existed. And I'm going to make them love humans because there's no natural predators for a quokka. And they're going to love taking selfies with humans. So Google quokka selfie, Q-U-O-K-K-A on Google if you want to see the cutest animal ever. So I'm excited to go because they're over on Rottnest Island on the west coast of Australia. Perth I haven't been to either, so it'd be fun to see the humans that also live on the west coast of Australia. But the quokkas right now have always been calling my name. I also haven't even been to Adelaide. And I love the Barossa Valley Shiraz that is in the southern part of Australia too. So yeah, there'll be more places to visit if when it flows to come back. Now we have Sam Graham who said, what to do when you know and feel the greater opportunity is there. However, it feels like too big a leap, not yet in full alignment, but current circumstances are pushing you to leap anyways. Okay, so I feel like this is a contradiction, Sam. (laughs) I feel like it would be actually truly contradictory to say what to do when you know and feel the greater opportunity is there. So then it's there. On the other side, you say, but it feels like it's too big of a leap and not in full alignment, then it wouldn't be ready yet. But then you say, but the current circumstances are pushing you to leap anyways. So it's like a yes, no, yes. Well, is it a yes or is it a no? If it doesn't feel ready, it's not ready. That's what I would say. If it doesn't feel ready, it's not ready. Don't do it. I mean, and what you have to do is ask yourself, let's say it's like selling a house or like your landlord is pushing you out or your lease is ending soon. You got to ask yourself, like, am I leaving the lease right now? Like, is this moment, is it past midnight on the lease right now? Like right now, if we stop the microphone and we stop the show, it's 1033 here in Bali as I record this for you guys. If I stop this right now, 1033, is that when you get kicked out of your lease or your job or whatever the thing is? Do you have to leave right now? Like, do you have to stop the podcast because right now is when you have to put your sofa on a moving truck, if this is what the situation is. If you are not at that point where you have to put the sofa on the moving truck or the landlord is going to call the police, (laughs) it's not yet time, so it's okay. Your mind's just thinking prematurely about the situation and stressing about it. So you have to trust that if the job or the relationship or the moving situation, whatever the thing might be, is pushing you anyways, current circumstances, you have to ask yourself, is that true or is that just a story that feels like, well, in the next two weeks, I've got to do it. Okay, you've got two weeks. Does that make sense? Like you have to pull the mind away from its attachment to time as a problem right now. 
because it's not time unless it is time. And if it is time, then you'll have that, you know, you'd feel that it's the opportunity is there. Current circumstances are pushing you. So go like that would be the time. But you're saying it doesn't feel like it's in full alignment yet, which means it's like it's like bread in the oven that's still cooking. It's it's fun to eat cookies when they're a little bit gooey inside, but it's not as much fun if bread is still like goopy inside of the bread. If the bread's still cooking in the oven, just keep letting it cook. If you're not actually having to put the sofa on the moving truck in this instant, then keep letting things happen. It's not time yet. It's on the way. And then just keep asking for the signs or for the the words. Words are signs. Like I did when I said the coronavirus, I asked for words. When it was the Bali ticket, I asked for signs. You can do the same, but most likely it's not time yet. But it will be, and you will know what to do when it is the time then. Now we have Michelle Sophia, 14, asked, Hi Jess, so happy to see these episodes coming back. Just wondering if you have any insight on feeling like you're meant to be someone or do something great, but have no idea what exactly that is. Is it all just a matter of when all will come when it's meant to? Thank you. Yes, Michelle Sophia, can I tell you one thing? You are all that is. You're all that is. You are the God of your own reality. You are all of your own reality. You are a point of consciousness, indistinguishable, indestructible. You are as much consciousness as any other being, sold being on this planet. You are, of course you have the feeling like you're meant to be someone or do something great. You are God. Yes, everyone is. Goddesses, <laughs> whatever, goddesses. I don't love that term, but you know, like everybody is the creator of their own awareness. Their awareness is creating their own reality and their perception of it. It's almost like we're in a simulation and you're creating the simulation that you're personally experiencing by allowing and vibrationally setting this off. Whether you're conscious of it or not yet, that remains to be seen. Everybody's on their own journey with that. But of course you're great. You're creating your entire reality. You're the director, producer, actor, sound grip. You're the whole thing. But as the whole thing, there's nothing more for you to become. Only the mind would look at itself as the little character within its own script and set and plot and plan and everything and say, oh, I need to go be something bigger because it doesn't feel like it's enough. But you're the whole thing. You can't be any bigger. You can't be anymore. Your awareness will always continue to grow into that. But your, you, your mind... Often, it sounds like this is a question coming mostly from a mind that's looking to validate its own set of experiences, that it needs to deserve and be worthy of something. You are inherently deserving and worthy of the fun life you have chosen to have or can choose to have right now. But it's not here to be something that's earned or deserved. It's here to be fun. It's here to be played with. So just ask yourself, what's the fun thing to do right now? If you listened to my episode last week about the flow of my work, I didn't have a story that said I needed to go earn and deserve by becoming like someone that would create something like inner voice facilitator training. I just did what felt fun in the moment. It was better than watching TV. If I felt like watching Gilmore Girls last year, all year, instead of doing inner voice work, I would have. I just didn't want to do that as much as I wanted to do, do inner voice work for parts of the week throughout the year. And then I had the idea come to me later. So of course, you're so worthy. You are so deserving. There's nothing... It's like Lulu the cat. Lulu the cat is on YouTube. And I didn't even like cats really before Lulu, but I fell in love with Lulu. It'd be like Lulu asking me, I need to do something. I need to be something. 
And I'm just looking at Lulu going, you're the cutest thing I've ever seen. You are like a little French bulldog cat and I love you. There's nothing you need to do or be. You are inherently worthy of being here and I love that your presence is here right now. I know you're not always going to be in cat form and Lulu, the cutest cat I've ever seen form. Eventually that Lulu cat body will die. But I don't think the consciousness that is within anything, as Eckhart calls it, the one life ever goes, it's the one life. It's the life force flowing through all things. And the interesting dynamic is the soul being aspect of it, which is still beyond my mind's own wrapping its entire perception. I don't know that it ever will be able to understand the duality, the multi-levelness of the individual within the common one life. But that cat doesn't have to do anything other than do what it feels like doing. And I know, and or at least for me, the perception I have is the same for you, Michelle Sophia. Of course, you're beautiful. You're lovely. Go have fun. What are you here for? To go do whatever you feel like is fun, just like me or just like anyone listening to this. It's not just Michelle, of course. It's everybody. Everybody gets to have fun. Everybody's here to create. That's why they chose to come. They didn't choose to come to be a slave to themselves or any others. But the perception over time and a lot of forgetting and a lot of limitation in the mind made it seem like it's such. But that's why I think at the ultimate level, all the channels and inner voices often say, all is well, all is well, all is well. Because even the perception that one life could be hard or is hard from the mind's perspective is just a chapter in a potentially very, 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 very never-ending story. It doesn't end. If it doesn't end, then it's just an experience. And if it's just an experience and the awareness is there that that's true, choice is available too. Okay, anyways, that just got a little bit deep and a little bit off topic, but let's keep going. Now we have Kaylee McDeed who said, Hi Jess, how can we get the mind to let go of a romantic relationship that didn't work out? The idea of what could have been, replaying everything you did, said, etc. I want to let go. Oh, I'd have so much compassion, Kaylee, for the mind wanting to hold on. Just go, I know. Every time it happens, every time your mind goes back, how about you just say, I know, I know, I know. Not trying to fight it, not trying to change it, not trying to delete it. I mean, obviously you can go feel the emotions, like the beanbags, if you will, if there are any around the topic. But every time it wants to go back to how great it was or whatever happened and what, you know, I know, I know, I know, in compassion, I know, I know, I know. And as you keep saying, I know, in soothing the mind for its upset, as you soothe the mind and it's upset, I know, I know, I know you wanted it to work out. I know you wanted it to be better. I know you didn't want to have said that. I know you didn't want them to have done that. I know, I know, I know. As you keep doing that and you keep soothing the mind, you don't try to change it. You just, you're just there for it like a good friend. I know, I know, I know. It calms down. That's the first thing, is it doesn't have anything to fight. It's not fighting for its time on the stage. You're just saying, I know, I know it was great. I know it was hard. I know it was tough. I know it was beautiful. I know it was all the things. As you soothe that part, I eventually personally reached a place by releasing a ton of beanbags on the topic of relationship (laughs) where the reality began to set in that if it wasn't working with that person, That only can mean there's a better situation coming. It only can mean that. Even though the mind can't even imagine a better situation, either that person has to come back and it will become a better situation 
or something new will happen that will come about that will be a better situation with the new person. There's the only way. This one life, this this universe that is one thing, even though the minds fight and they think they can take from one another, it's like a body having cancer. It's like perceiving it needs to take over and dominate itself, but it really just kills the whole body in doing so. But the whole thing What's right for one part of the universe inherently has to be right for another part of the universe. Like if it's right for you guys to not be separated, if one of you knew that, let's say the other partner knew that they wanted something different or ready for something new or more, then it has to be true that it's right for you too. And I'll give you an example. For me, back in the day with jewelry, the jewelry company I had, I had a person that worked for me full time. And when my inner being showed me it was time to close the company, that person lost her job. But I never questioned or felt guilty from my mind ever about it. Now, I had no idea what she was going to do with her next career. I didn't know. But I knew that there was no logical way the universe could work and operate in such a way that I was supposed to go against my own crystal clear inner being to stay with the company just so that she still had a job. There would be no way that my out of alignmentness, and I didn't even have Abraham in my life back then, but I just knew that if it was right for my intuition, there is no way it could also not be right for her. But it was also in no way my responsibility to find her another job. Of course, if I could have helped her find a job and if she said, hey, Jess, I need you to write me a reference or I need you to do something for me that would be useful for her, of course I would happily do so. But it wasn't my job to get her another job. It was my job to follow my own intuition and trust that she's a sovereign being. And again, I didn't even have all of these languages and point of view. I just knew there was no logical way that it would make sense in the universe, that it would be a balanced place in any way whatsoever, where I was supposed to stay unhappily in a situation just so that she could be there. Like it had to be, the only logic for me was, that I could see was that if it was right for me, some reason, for some reason, it was right for her too. But it was not my responsibility to figure out what it was, like why that was right for her. It was just my responsibility to follow my own intuition and have care and compassion for her along the way, but never guilt. What would guilt do? Guilt wouldn't do anything to help her. It would just make me feel bad. Getting sick does not make someone else well. Being poor does not make someone else abundant. (laughs) right? Say rich is what Abraham usually says. But you could say to yourself, oh, well, I can give them all my money and then they'll be rich. But if they're not in an abundant mindset, they're not going to be able to hold on to it in a sense of having abundance and then they won't be able to maintain it. The vibration has to be carried within themselves. So anyways, that would be my thing. I know, I know, I know whenever the mind wants to go back and wants to go back and at the same time gently lead it to its other also conclusion. I know, I know, I know. And that can only mean something better for both of us is on the way, whether it's with each other or whether it's apart. Something better has to be on the way that is better for us. And we don't even have to know or feel like that's true right now. But ultimately, it has to be because that's the way things work here. All right, you guys, there you have it. May this have helped you in some way. Of course, as a buffet, take what you like, leave the rest. And of course, if you want to find me on Instagram or if you want to see and submit questions for any future things, you can go over to Jess C as in Cookie Lively. And until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.